Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Grazer's Grapevine. I'm guest host Cheryl Burns, and today I'll be speaking with Kayla Sugart, who, with her husband Ben, owns the Center Cut Company. They farm approximately 40 acres in Cumberland County, where they graze 80 ewes and raise about 300 laying hens, and during the course of the season, about 2,000 meat birds. Welcome, Kayla, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Kayla, if you don't mind, please tell us about Center Cut Company and your farm operation. Yeah, um, I created the Center Cut as a way to get the products that we were growing and or raising directly on the farm to the consumer. We were doing a lot of wholesale, and I just wanted a way to directly be speaking to the consumer. Um, you know, getting the information out there about some of the different processes we were doing and some of the things that I felt uh, contributed to the nutritional superiority of the products we had to offer. So uh, I decided to join some farmers markets and created the center cut as a way to get directly to the consumer through the farmers market avenues and also home delivery. That's great. Now, how long have you been farming? Um, probably about 10 or 11 years now. And how did you start? Yeah, when I was in high school, I was really interested in uh, some different clubs like the Green Club and FFA. And so through FFA, I got involved with more of the agricultural side of it. And I was excited to learn a lot about sheep primarily, but I also was very interested in pigs. So I had got some connections through the FFA and started raising sheep. I got my first sheep to show and sell at the Pennsylvania Farm Show. And from there, just it kind of just kept going. I got some chickens, got some pigs. And Ben and I actually met in FFA. We met in high school. And we started raising sheep together. He mostly had sheep when he was growing up. So kind of was a natural transition to start raising them together. And yeah, that's how I got, that's how I got into it. That's how we mostly got into sheep. We did have all the species at one time, but kind of determined that it's not really possible to uh, do everything, you know, and be really good at everything. So we decided just to break it down and do two species. So we just stuck with chickens and we stuck with sheep and we rotationally grazed those two species. And those are the products that we sell at the market. Okay. Now, thinking back to when you made the choice to just raise sheep and chickens, why did you select sheep over goats or even beef? Yeah, um, I think the reason we didn't go into beef primarily was because of space and uh, cattle are kind of hard on the ground. And so we had minimal resources. We had minimal property Mm -hmm. acreage to work with. And so to get the most use out of that ground, it made sense to go with either goats or sheep. And then the choice to go with sheep over goats is just more the multi-purpose end of it. I personally really like sheep over goats. Goats are um, little ornery and they kind of get out of things and they're very uh 
you know, they're kind of tricky sometimes. So I didn't necessarily love their personality as much as I liked sheep. So that's one reason. And also just, you know, again, the multi-purpose aspect of the sheep I enjoyed. You can get the wool, the meat, um, and the milk. And so I just really liked that they were so multi-purpose on top of, you know, just my personal really liking of the species. I think many people tend to gravitate towards one or the other. And I'm always curious to see how people develop their preferences. So I just wanted to ask. You were wholesaling your meat products and, as you mentioned, shifted to retail through farmers markets and home delivery. Can you tell us more about your marketing? Yeah, so just started out going to the farmers markets and I recognized there was kind of a need for people to want to be able to either come to the market and pick up an order that they had placed online or be able to get it directly to their house. So that's where I started into the more e-commerce space of uh, reaching the customer. And with that, I essentially created a website where I had a form. People could place their orders ahead of time. I could save the product for them if I ran out. One of the most popular cuts that I would sell at the market was, you know, a boneless chicken breast. And so they would always sell out really fast with whatever I would bring. So offering this to the consumer, hey, you can place an order online ahead of time. You can pick it up at the market. I can deliver it to you. That was really helpful. And uh, honestly, that's I reached a lot of customers that I probably wouldn't have reached just in foot traffic from the market being out on a platform where that they could you know view at any time they could get exactly what they were looking for so really stepping into that e-commerce space a little bit has helped exponentially grow the business recently you teamed up with another local farm to kind of coordinate online ordering how did that relationship come about yeah so i actually teamed up with two other local farmers in the area and we decided that you know three is better than one, right? So (laughs) um, we decided to combine and spread the workload of actually working a market and doing deliveries from just each of us individually trying to do this to all of us combined doing it together with each other's products. So I teamed up with Rowan uh, from Rowan Tree Farms in Mechanicsburg and Greg Hildebrand from Honey Bee Friendly who is also like Dillsburg, Mechanicsburg area. Mm-hmm. And together we all combined all of our products onto one online site. And so now all of our customers can, instead of just visiting each of us individually for our products, they can visit one site, they can place one order and we will deliver it or we will have it available for pickup at the markets that we do. I think that's such a great idea. I'm always glad to see people collaborating and spreading the workload, as you said. What are some of the hurdles that you and your partners had to address to launch this collaboration? Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that some of the biggest concerns are, you know, some of the things you mostly hear about when you think of like a co-op type of situation or a mm -hmm. partnership. Partnerships are the only ships that sink, right? You know, but these (laughs) types of sayings is like, where we were, you know, mostly concerned with and making sure that all of us knew what we were doing, making sure we had a pretty 
good idea of what each of us was going to bring to the table and just having those conversations and not, uh, not putting too much emphasis on what, you know, we thought the business itself was going to do, but making sure that we were going to be able to sell our products in the same fashion that we have been and reaching the consumer, but just, you know, help us each with the workload and maybe expand each of our customer bases by working with each other. So we're not really as concerned with the Honeycut Tree, which is the collaborative name that we've decided. So <laughs> the Centercut Company, Honey Bee Friendly, and Rowan Tree Farms is now the Honeycut Tree, which is kind of, we know, very creative, right? <laughs> a combination of all of our names. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense. So instead of that being its own entity and us trying to like, it is its own entity and stuff, but just instead of worrying about that, just basically making sure that the health of our three individual businesses is maintained. And we use the honeycut tree as a, as a resource to uh, get our product to the consumer. So it it is basically co-op like, but I feel that we've had, you know, the conversations and everything that we need to make it be successful for this coming, for this upcoming season. Yeah. So to help with, you know, that workload, we decided to just have one stand. So instead of each okay. of us having our own individual stand, it's really helpful that we only have one now. So in case, you know, Rowan has an emergency at the farm, Greg has to go tend to his bees. I have an issue with the sheep. We don't have to worry about maybe finding someone to hire to work our market stand sure. and pay them money. Uh, we don't have to worry about maybe canceling the market and not showing up for our customers. Instead, we can kind of maintain that presence by each of us picking up the load for each other and just being there, you know, only one person has to work the stand, right? So out of the three of us, we've just basically split that workload in the thirds. And honestly, we're just, we're going to just see where it goes. I think that's really, uh, the best that we can do right now. And, with a lot of things, it prices increasing of everything. It is really hard to be an individual local farmer that's trying to reach a very local customer base. And again, each of our sales has increased just because we're able to access each other's customers, right? So like someone comes for honey, but they didn't realize that the honey man is now also able to sell them milk and meat and eggs and that good stuff. So yeah. I think it's been really beneficial and it's kind of a one-stop shop for the consumer too. So it's been nice. As you know, there can be a lot to consider when looking at new markets and it may or may not be easier with a partnership like Honeycut Tree. Do you have a process for looking at new markets together or do you still each participate in new markets and one-off events individually? How does this work? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like I mentioned before, we're still very much our own individual uh, businesses. And this space of doing markets and other events, I think that what we've done so far, at least, is markets that we've maybe been invited to individually. Uh, we've brought, you know, to each other and said, hey, like, what do we think about this? But also, it's just a process of scheduling really for the market. So who's available? Can someone do this? And can they take all of the product to this location and would they be 
able to do that on a weekly basis. Right. So I think that at this time we're all pretty open to different stuff that's going on. I don't think that any of us feel like we are going to limit ourselves with markets. We're not like full to capacity right now. I think we can definitely do more. We just haven't really found something yet. That's a good fit. And I think we're kind of trying to explore that more before the season starts. But right now we have two um, pretty main markets that we are going to be doing. And at this time, that's pretty much where we're at. I think we're going to incorporate more. We just, like I said, don't know where. And, you know, maybe it would be something that one of us would just sign up for and see how it goes, see what the market's like, do some market research and bring it back to the group and be like, Hey, I think this is a good one for us to go to. I really like that. There's enough flexibility in what you've pulled together that you're able to explore new options for those who may be considering exploring something similar. Is there anything they should consider before approaching potential partners? Yeah, I I definitely think that you should evaluate uh, your willingness to not only delegate, but also be open-minded to other people's ideas. Sharing is, you know, caring, right? But it's not always easy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And with things like this, it's hard because you may see something going one way and you may, something may have worked for you in the past, but it may not work for someone else. You may have certain responsibilities that you have to bring to the table with this. And they may not work with your schedule sometimes. And you don't want to let anyone down in this. But I would definitely, you know, mainly evaluate your ability to work with others and evaluate the type of person that you're going to be going into business with. You know, are they typically easy to work with? Have you worked with them on any other projects before? And in this case, the three of us are all on a market board together. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, all three of us are still on that board. I was trying to think for a second there, <laughs> but we were at one time, we all had worked together on different projects. So we were pretty yeah. familiar with how each other works. I would just say, you know, kind of do your research and just kind of be honest with yourself too, right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to work with people like this? Or are you going to be, you know, put your foot down and be like, no, it has to be this way. And there is no other way. Cause that's not really going to be conducive for this type of team environment that this cultivates. You know, it's really, it's just mostly about teamwork and again, there's scheduling and all this other stuff, but really can you work as a team, you know, and can you work together to achieve the goals that you want to see happen? I think it bears saying that friends aren't always the best business partners, even with something less formal. So being able to look at a potential partner objectively is important. It's easy to get caught up in that excitement, you know, the excitement of having a really great idea and and pulling it together with friends, really wanting it to work, Uh, but being able to see the gaps and, and even overlaps, perhaps even in your own skills, is important to the success of any potential venture. And being objective with friends can be difficult. Yeah, I will say that the thing I like the most about this is just for me personally, it holds me really accountable to doing the work that I need to do. So in my outside day job, I'm an accountant, right? So I know all about this. I know how to do all of the books. 
But when it comes to my personal books, I always would <laughs> fall short because I just didn't have that accountability partner. I just didn't have anyone to be like, hey, where is this? But in this case now, I have two other people that are looking for the same thing I'm looking for, which would have been helpful to me all the time if I would have just done it every week like I was supposed to. Um, but now I actually have two other people helping hold me accountable. And so getting work done is a lot, I feel a lot easier because, you know, you're definitely hoping to get this stuff done on time and get it to them because they're looking for it. They need it too. So yeah, I like that aspect of it for myself. That's a really great point. Moving in a different direction. Many smaller meat producers have issues with processing capacity, uh, regardless of whether they're selling on the hoof or uh, if they need a USDA processor to sell cuts. Has this been an issue for you? Yeah, I would say that it's definitely an issue still. <laughs> there's not really <laughs> enough, right. there's really not enough uh, processors in the area. I don't have as much of an issue getting lamb processed, but getting our chicken processed was, it was hard to find someone to do that. So mm -hmm. we, as the farm, as our own individual farm unit decided to buy our own processing equipment okay. and just start doing that ourselves. So at least for the poultry end of it, we'll be doing all of our own processing this year. And that definitely kind of cuts back on the cost that it was to run it somewhere else to get it done. And also we can kind of customize that now. We can do certain cuts that maybe we couldn't get ordered before. We can uh, cater to certain customers a little bit better for things that they might want that we weren't able to get before. So that's nice. Um, but it is work, right? You know, and we have to do it. <laughs> so right. it's, it's not exactly, we are going to be limited by manpower as far as how many birds we can process at a time, but at least we have our own equipment to do that. And, uh, as far as the ruminants go, you know, the sheep it's, I found uh, a good place that I go to get them killed under inspection Okay. because you have to have them killed under inspection and packaged under inspection to be able to sell them retail to a consumer. Right. And that, that works out well, but those costs are increasing as well, unfortunately, you know, for the farmer and they have to, you know, for the, uh, for the, um, processor as well, you know, he has to increase his prices to keep up with everything. And so this is just going to trickle down to the consumer, unfortunately, but, you know, at least the product is getting processed and it's safe and it's, um, you know, packaged well and able to keep for the consumer. So that's good. I, I haven't had as, as much issue with that, but I will say, and not to speak on her behalf, but Rowan has had issues getting places to do pork. You know, that's mm -hmm. a lot of smoking and different things like that. Maybe not getting pigs killed under inspection, but definitely, you know, the extra processing of that, finding somewhere that smokes this stuff under inspection so you can turn around and sell it or maybe just further processing of it, but still able to sell it to people. You know, that's the whole, that's the kicker right there is you can't, you can't just do that. You can't just have someone, um, slaughter the hog under inspection and then take it home and decide you're going to do whatever you do in your backyard with it and then sell it right. to the consumer. You can't right. do that. So, and, uh, 
all of that processing and all of that money that has to be paid to the USDA and all of that, it's, it's very expensive on the farmer and it's very Mm -hmm. hard also to find places to do that extra processing for you. So maybe in the future, uh, the facility that we're doing the poultry processing at, we can have that be inspected and we can do more of that further processing. So instead of getting my lambs packaged and cut, or I'm sorry, cut and packaged, killed, cut and packaged at one place, I can just get them killed there. And then I can take them and further process them the way that I want and maybe more cost effective for me. Who knows? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of the issue. That's a lot of the up in the air, like, you know, finding someone to do that, maybe extra step processing, especially with pigs is hard. Speaking of goals for the future, what are the future plans for the center cut company? Yeah, I'd really like to continue looking to the future of this e-commerce space. I really think it is the way of the future. Mm-hmm. And it's been really growing, I think, and being able to offer these types of products directly to people through this is, I think, really, really going to continue to grow, I hope at least. And that's, that's the space that I'd like to focus most of my energy in. So I'd like to see the honeycut tree become something that, you know, larger in South Central Pennsylvania and something that people can turn to to order. And to do that, I think there's a lot of things that we'll have to, you know, work on maintaining a certain price point, trying to do that as best we can, making sure that we keep up with customer service, obviously, and maintaining product quality across the board. That's always really hard, I feel, for smaller farms, but that's that's kind of the stuff I want to work on. But I really want to expand more into this e-commerce space and uh, hopefully get the get our online presence out there more. So that's really the goal and long-term goals. Eventually, someday, I think it would be really cool to uh, be able to have some sort of restaurant space which I think would be really interesting, but I don't know exactly what that looks like at this time. (laughs) And there's always new ideas popping up too, I'm sure. For now though, where can people find you? Yeah, so they can find us on, well, I'll just give you my website to be easy. It's just thecentercutcompany.com. If you go to order, that will take you to a link that is our shared store. And that from there, you can access all the products for the Honeycut tree, all the honey. Greg is doing a lot of really cool stuff, a lot of infused honeys, beauty products, creamed honeys like chocolate cream, cinnamon creamed, lemon creamed, mm-hmm. which is delish. So <laughs> yeah. very interesting stuff. Uh, Rowan has a lot of really great pork products. She also does a lot with the wool from her Icelandic sheep. She has a very rare breed of sheep that she gets the wool spun, uh, or yeah, the wool spun into yarn, I guess I should say. And, you know, some of, uh, some of the products that we're going to have in the pipeline are going to be some more ready to eat type of products, maybe some, uh, meats that are already pre-marinated or pre-seasoned or packages that are easy to just throw in the crock pot. We're going to look to do some more stuff like that 
this summer and really just do more value added products, I think, as far as the meat goes, which is exciting. And that's really going to be, it's going to consume a lot of our, uh, you know, our time, (laughs) but I think it'll be good. And I think the consumers will like that a lot. So some other things that we also were involved in that are some of the future plans that I'd like to do would be more of the farm to table dinners where we take all the products from the farmers at the farmers markets that we do and, you know, cook them and serve them to people for food, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> farm food. table, literally farm to table. Uh, we do, we did a dinner last year at the Dillsburg farmers market, which is now located at the historic Dills Tavern in Dillsburg. And we actually used the inside of the tavern. We cooked all the food in the kitchen and we served it to everyone along with other local wine, cider, and beer vendors that also attend our market. And we served everything in the tavern. We did everything by candlelight. It was really cool. That's something I thoroughly enjoy about (laughs) the Dills Tavern is that it's like you know, it's not just like a museum that's like, don't touch anything. It's a museum that's like, let's live and, you know, recreate this space and actually have fun in here and touch everything. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so right. It's kind of like a living history type of deal. So plan to do more of those this year, plan to do some other farm to table dinners. I think we're going to be doing one at Rowan Tree Farms, which I will definitely give you the link to that as well. Okay. And that'll be really fun. We're going to do that in her corn crib, which will be awesome. So oh, fun. <laughs> lots of other future plans. Yep. That's great. And in person, you're at the Dillsburg Farmer's Market, which opens again in May, if I remember correctly. And you're also at Carlisle Farmers on the Square. Is that correct? Yep. Also, uh, the regular, well, the winter season is going on currently. And then the okay. main season also starts in May. So Kayla, Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk with me today. I've really enjoyed getting to hear about Center Cut and your new collaboration as Honey Cut Tree. Yeah, thanks, Cheryl, so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad to be able to spread the word about what we're doing. And hopefully it helps other farmers in the area as well. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Grazer's Grapevine. Visit the Grazer's Grapevine page at paglc.org for episode notes, including photos, a link to the Center Cut Company website, and to access other Grazer's Grapevine episodes. While on the site, check out the grazing chat room and feel free to ask questions about this or other episodes, post ideas for future interviews, and ask questions or discuss all things grazing.